0: Good morning, ladies. I'm um, delighted to uh, get to dive into 1 Corinthians with you. I thought last week was a great treat to just have a week to really dive into the background of Corinthians and um, understand a little bit more where Paul and the Corinthian church were coming from. And today I'm excited then to dive into the scripture, 1 Corinthians, Now, the timeless and significant truth that I took out of today's scripture, 1 Corinthians 1 1 through 17, is that Christ followers are called to be holy. We're called to be in fellowship with Jesus, and we're called to be in unity with other believers. So that's where we're going to be going. Well, it's fall in Texas, and in my family, that means football season. Um, We have some football fans, and we are a house divided. Um, Half of my family are um, TCU grads and TCU fanatics, I would call at least one of them. The other part of my family, part being brought in through marriage um, are Baylor fans. And um, yeah, so I hear, you see, like, we don't have whoops or go Sueys or neither of those teams. I mean, you have a an, err uh, and you have a frog, like no good noises. Um, you got some bling attire that you can wear. Um, you got uh, all of those things, but... Um, When we've talked about sending our daughters to college and making the investment of college, um, let me just say, football was really not part of the picture. Um, I hate to break it to some of you very diehard football fans, but really there are great universities that don't even have football teams. And, um, you know, don't have any sports programs. Um, And so what was essential, fundamental when we sent our daughters to college and made that investment was that they were going to get a great education, that they were going to go to class. That was an essential. um, That they were going to finish college in four years, not five not seven, but four years for that undergraduate degree, Um, that they were going to be women of character, that they were going to exhibit godly behavior. Those were the essentials. And as much fun as you can see, my husband and I, it's hard to embarrass your college-age daughters, but we work hard at it. Um, (laughs) So we, we would practice our sports outfits that we would tell them we were wearing to the game. We never showed up like that. We were on the your left side, those were our outfits. But sports is just not essential to college. Well, imagine that you are a visitor walking into that first century Corinth church for the first time, and they are bickering like a bunch of football fans from opposing teams. Now, here are some things you might have heard if you were in that church. Um, You've got this section over here, and that's team Blake, and they're really excited because Blake is preaching this week and he's the best preacher. Or you got over here, you got team Todd and they're like, oh, you haven't been baptized yet, but you're a believer. Oh, well, just wait, wait until Todd baptizes because he's the best baptizer. (laughs) You wanna wait for Todd. Now, while you or I might decide next week, I am going to the church down the street to visit maybe they're normal people, Um, these believers didn't have any options. And under God's direction, he doesn't want us to go from church to church, just looking for a place that makes us comfortable. God wants us to dive in and as believers, learn how to work out our differences in unity. All churches struggle with conflict and division. Our church is made up of a bunch of sinners we're going to argue. Not only are we made up of a bunch of sinners, we're run by a bunch of sinners, and so is this Bible study. We have conflict because we're still in the flesh. Until we get to heaven, there just isn't going to be a perfect church. There's not going to be a church without divisions. So the question for us as believers is how do we handle those conflicts? And across the 2,000 years since Paul wrote this letter, ladies, we're still bickering about the same things that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians. That's why I'm so excited for us to study it this year. Well, the first 17 verses of this long letter Paul wrote to the Corinthians is really full of a loving reminder to them of who they are, that they have been set apart, they've been equipped by God to work things out with each other in love. To have unity in the essentials of their faith. That's the timeless and significant truth I want to dive into today. That First Corinthians one through one through seventeen is that Christ's followers are called to be holy. We're called to be in fellowship with Christ, and we're called to have unity with other believers. So let's dive into scripture, and I've divided today's scripture into three sections. The first thing I want to talk about is our identity. We are His, and that's where our identity needs to rest. The second thing I want to talk about is that we are called to be in fellowship with Jesus, in fellowship with him. And the third thing I wanna talk about is our challenges. We are challenged to be in unity with other believers, and that'll be the last part of our scripture. So open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians, and let's dive in to my first point, which is our identity. We are His, and I'm going to camp on just one scripture here, 1 Corinthians 1.1. So when my girls were little, we loved the book, Are You My Mother?, And if you're not familiar with this book, a lot of you are, you're nodding, you're laughing, you know where I'm going with this. But this sweet little bird hatches and he's all alone. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know who he belongs to. So he flops out of his nest and he goes all around the barnyard and all around this, I guess, construction site looking for who he is, his identity. Well, that little bird finally finds his mama and he knows who he is. Well, just like that bird, we are all born seeking identity. Who am I? What was I created to be? What was I created to do? Who am I? And Paul starts this letter to the Corinthians with a loving reminder to them of who they are, of what his identity is and what their identity is. So let's look at verse one. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, I can't read that verse without stopping at the word Paul for just a moment. We studied him last week, what he was like um, before he became a believer, and that word reminds me that it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you've done, we are all invited into the family of God. He is available for all of us. Paul was a man who had murdered and persecuted the Jews. He'd murdered and persecuted Christians. Um, But when he met Jesus' lady, God changed him. He didn't murder people because they became believers anymore. He became a believer himself. No matter what your background, no matter what you've done, no matter how terrible you think it is, no matter what you did last night or what you said to that other car this morning in traffic, God is available to you. Um, So now let's move past the first word and look at the rest. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, don't you love the strength and security and just peace of Paul's self-understanding? He knows how he got there by the will of God. He knows why he's there to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, to be God's spokesperson and to spread the gospel. Now Paul was unique. He was called an apostle because he had seen the risen Christ. We today are called by God to be disciples for him. Ladies, God wants every one of us to be that confident about who we are why he has called us, and our identity, that it is in him, that we are his daughters, and he wants us to have a solid, clear understanding that we belong to him. He wants me to be assured, Antoinette, called by God to be a disciple, a wife, a mother, a sister, a friend, for the glory of Jesus Christ. God loves you so deeply that he wants you to be all those things too. So put your name in here with me and y'all do it aloud and I'll do it with my name. Antoinette called by God to be a disciple, a wife, a mom, a nurse, a teacher, wherever God has you for the glory of Jesus Christ. That is our identity and it is in him. Well, a tremendous stability comes on us, a tremendous peace when we let God's word define who we are instead of the craziness of the world defining who we are. So what's your story, ladies? are you like those early century Corinthians who as new believers were really struggling to live out their faith? They were suddenly different inside because they had met Jesus, but they were still living in a world that was ugly and didn't behave very nicely. So I have to ask, is that your story? That you love Jesus, you've accepted the free gift of his salvation, but when it really comes down to it, you don't know how to walk with him, You don't know how to walk like Him. You don't really know how to love others the way He does. You don't know how to have your identity defined by Him. So your marriage doesn't really glorify Him. The way you parent doesn't really glorify Him. Well, if that's you, you are safe here because you are among other women just like you. Um, You know, my struggle this week has been around teaching. What if I pass out from anxiety? You know, what if you don't like my hair? What if I have a clothing malfunction of some kind? I mean, it's crazy the things we as women get caught up in instead of resting in that God created us and he's equipped us to be his disciples. And that's all he asks. So here is Paul in this first line of his letter, reminding his beloved Corinthians and us that God doesn't make us to fit in. He makes us to stand out in the world. So the question for you and the question for me is who's gonna sway our confidence today? Will we allow ourselves to be defined by the way we look or the car we drive or our bank account or how our children behave or how our husband does something or our past sin or whatever? Or will you rest in what Christ has already done for you and what he says about you, that you've been called by him to be a disciple for his glory. And that's it, that's your identity. That's God's plan and his design. Well, how different would your day be if every morning before those feet hit the floor, you were reminded that you were called by God to be his disciple, a wife, a mom, a friend, a worker, whatever, wherever he has you, for the glory of Jesus Christ, and that's it. That's your identity. God didn't make us to fit in, he made us to stand out in this world. Our identity isn't in the world, it's in him. And that brings me to my second point, which is really our calling is fellowship with him. That's how we get there. And here I'm going to dive into verses two through nine, and we're going to put it up. It's a lot of scripture, but I've highlighted what I kind of thought were the key um, words in this scripture. Well, as much of a train wreck as this Corinthian church really was, look at how Paul addresses them. I loved these verses. There's so much there. He calls them sanctified, holy, enriched, set apart by God, for God, he opens the letter really saying, hey, Corinthians, remember me? Remember, you are the sanctified saints. What are you doing? You're the holy ones of God. When Paul says that they've been sanctified saints, he is saying it is past and done. For Corinthian believers and for you and me, ladies, It means that God decisively called me out of the darkness wherever I was before I was a believer. And there was a decision point at that time. I turned and put my faith and my trust and my hope in Him. He is what I need for guidance in my life. It was a decisive break with the old and a setting apart by God to make me holy. But it also leaves a lot of room. I mean, we are not done yet. Hopefully, we got a lot of progress to come. The Corinthians, like us, were in the process of becoming more fully devoted followers of Christ. But like with us, it was a struggle for them. It was positional when it happened but it was gonna be progressive through their whole lives. And Paul lovingly reminds them that they are sanctified saints. Well, let's look at what those words mean. In Greek, those two words are really closely related. One word translates as made holy and the other is an adjective, a process word meaning continually being made holy. So if you've accepted Christ, ladies, As your Lord and savior, you have been made holy and not a little holy, not a lot holy, completely, totally, 100% holy. 100% clean, 100% forgiven, not 99.99, 100%. It is done and we don't get there by working toward it. Christ did it all on the cross. That's what makes us holy not works. The blood of Jesus is what made us holy. So are we acting like sanctified saints, grace given, enriched, confirmed, not lacking in any gift, sustained, guiltless, and in deep abiding fellowship with Jesus Christ? Is your relationship with Jesus authentic and interactive? Is it fellowship and I know a lot of the women in here and looking at their faces, I know there are a lot of gals in here that say, would say the answer to that is absolutely, I have a deep, abiding relationship with the Lord. And if that's you, I hope this year, as you're sitting with other gals who aren't there yet, that you have a chance to share how you got there, because I know it's a process. But maybe you um, are here thinking, well, I think my relationship with Jesus is more like an acquaintance. I mean, I read about him, I kind of understand some stuff about him, I accepted him, but I wouldn't really call it a deep relationship. Or spending time with Jesus is on my to do list every day. I, you know, some days I get to check that box and other days I don't, but I don't really think it's a relationship. Or uh, you might say, well, you know, I know Jesus knows me. I mean, I know he knows everyone, but I don't really think he knows me. Like I'm not talking to him about the deep personal stuff. Or maybe this is you and you would say that your relationship with Jesus is all about you asking him for things and um, trying to get help from him, but you don't really listen to him. Well, if any of that describes your relationship, um, know that Jesus has set you apart and this scripture tells us we have everything we need to develop a deep abiding relationship with him. And that is what he is calling us to. And when we have that deep abiding relationship with Jesus, that's when ladies, we are so filled up we can start having unity with other believers. Um, so are you experiencing that deep abiding relationship with Jesus? That is what he is calling each of us to. Then we can dive into unity, which brings me to my third point today, which is our challenge is unity with others. And I'm going to be in verses 10 through 17 here. Well, Google the news of the day or just open Twitter on your phone. Not right now. It's just a rhetorical thing. Um, Open Twitter and um, vilifying people and um, talking bad about them because we disagree with their beliefs has just really become socially acceptable, culturally acceptable. And it is brutal, I mean, don't, aren't you thankful that you're not some famous person when you see what people can say about them openly and just make stuff up? It's awful. Ladies, whether we're disagreeing, you know, on Twitter with people or in our Bible study small group or in community where lots of disagreements tend to bubble up, Paul is reminding us that God is calling us to unity, especially in the midst of um, disagreements. In verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there is no division among you, but that you are united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, Paul wasn't calling us here to be cookie cutter Christians who agree on everything, um, And he wasn't suggesting that we just whitewash scripture so much that there's nothing there so that we can all be happy together and never disagree on anything. But he was telling the Corinthians that he wanted to realign them in areas where they had strayed from scriptural truth resulting in divisions. You know, our Bible study this year is, our theme this year is that belief affects behavior. And that's what Paul was calling the Corinthians to. He wanted them to know and understand the fundamental things of their beliefs, the fundamental beliefs of Christianity, and let those beliefs affect their behavior and then not worry about all the other stuff. The key to finding unity for the Corinthians and for us is separating essentials from preferences. But many times we get caught up in the little stuff um, rather than focusing on the big stuff. And that's what was happening in Corinth. So the first danger I wanna talk about and that Paul dives into is relational idolatry. And this is when we put any person above our relationship with God. That person becomes an idol. And Paul describes this in in verse two. What uh, um, What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. In this instant, the word divisions that's used in Greek in our scripture is translated from the word schism which is like used for two opposing political parties or two opposing football teams. Yeah, those fans, there's a schism going on. Um, And so like a bunch of crazed football fans, these particular Christians were siding with people. I can just imagine them saying, well, I follow Apollos after all, he is the best preacher. And the gal on the other side saying, well, I follow Christ you know, not a real loving way to do it. And they're bickering about people. Those people had become their idols. Well, I remember, um, my first Bible study or one of my first Bible studies I did as a new believer was a Beth Moore Bible study. And you would have thought Beth Moore had walked on water. Um, the way some women in that Bible study quoted Beth Moore. They talked about what Beth Moore taught. They wanted to look like Beth Moore. Um, (laughs) right. You guys, if you've done it, you know what I'm saying. Well, it was like Beth Moore was an idolized. Now I'll tell you, I think Beth Moore is a gifted Bible teacher. She is great. We love her. Um, And I learned a ton from her, but as a new believer, it was really confusing for me. Like, was I supposed to listen to Beth Moore? Was I supposed to listen to scripture? Um, And so I finally got it that it wasn't about what Beth Moore said. She was trying to help me understand what God was saying. And that's what was important. So I've been guilty, just like those Corinthians, of listening to a message and being more enamored and excited by someone's style and their great illustrations and all of that stuff, rather than their message and applying what was being taught. We have to be careful to not magnify the messenger over the message. And we do that today. Well, the second division that Paul addresses in our scripture today is what I call spiritual arrogance. Some of the Corinthians were seeking um, status based on who baptized them. Now, I know, I don't know that people really brag over like, ooh, I was baptized by Todd, um, that we hear that today so much, but maybe they do. But I thought about um, a conversation I had with a girlfriend one time about hymns. And at her church, they only sing the classic hymns. And it was kind of like, if we don't have hymns that were written more than a hundred years ago, they're not going to be singing modern hymns in heaven. So we're going to just sing the, and I was like, okay. And I didn't really get it, but now I'm thinking, okay, Because I was back at her about the, oh, come on, the contemporary hymns, we actually understand what they mean, our kids like them, and that was so spiritually arrogant of me. It doesn't matter what songs we sing, that's a preference. Um, So Paul wasn't saying here that baptism doesn't matter, he was saying who baptizes you does not matter. We need to know what the essentials of our faith are, and we need to... um, not get caught up in arguments that are not about the essentials, that are preferences, and there is freedom in those preferences. So what are the essentials of our faith? Well, here they are in a nutshell. Let me just go through them quickly. They are, we believe in the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Christ, the spiritual lostness of the human race, the substitutionary atonement and bodily resurrection of Christ. We believe that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. And we believe in the physical return of Christ because those things are what Scripture tells us are the essentials. Now, if you know the essentials and we know what God's Word says about them, then you'll know when someone's challenging truth and you need to press in, or when it's just a preference and you need to say, I may disagree but that's okay. We're just wired different. We like different things. Ladies, we are called to know the essentials of our beliefs and to let them affect our behavior. Well, in closing, Paul wanted the Corinthians and he wants us to approach differences from this perspective of the cross with humility, with understanding, with grace. But it, to do that, we need to be secure in our identity that we are his. We need to be in fellowship with him so we feel full of Christ's love and passion and compassion, and we need to then seek unity based on the fundamentals. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it, the essentials of our faith. Matthew 7, 7 says, seek or ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be open to you. Well, any worthy find requires some effort and the Bible is no exception to understand what God is saying. You just need to open his word and dive in ladies, be willing to roll up your sleeves. And that's what we're going to be doing throughout these, this year on some of these divisive topics so that you can stand on the essentials and just let go of preferences, because they just don't matter. We should find our identity in him, fellowship with him, and we should seek unity. That was Paul's message to the Corinthians, and that's his direction for us. Well, in my garden this year, I am... Bought a bunch of new citrus trees because my old ones all froze and I had to throw them out. That was really sad. But um, my citrus trees have done, I mean, they're just itty bitty, they're in pots. They have done amazingly well. And I think all that rain in August really blessed those um, citrus trees. So I was in the yard with my younger daughter, Katie. And we were looking at this uh, tree and she said, ah, your limes have done so well, they look ready. Um, When are you gonna pick those limes? And I agreed, they look like beautiful limes that are ready to be picked, except they're not limes. Those are Meyer lemons. So they are in process. They are still being worked on by God. He's still maturing those. He's ripening those. They are going to be beautiful, bright yellow with pinky yellow interiors when they are done. And I think that's what the Corinthians forgot as they were fighting. They forgot that they were different inside. They might look like the world around them. They might be in the world around them, but inside God had changed them and he was going to continue changing them, but they weren't done yet. And they forgot to look on their sisters as sanctified, but in progress. And they forgot to be patient and loving and kind. So as we dive in this year, God is calling us to be grace-filled, to seek to understand, and really to learn from each other, but most importantly, to learn what are the essentials of what we believe and to let our beliefs affect our behavior. Let me pray, and then Gigi's got an announcement she'll be back up. So, Father, I do ask you today that you would just be the focal point, the center, the sum of everything. Um, Father, I know there are differences in this room. We come from 40 different churches. We come from different backgrounds and different styles. So I just pray as we um, study today's lesson and as we go through the year for just unity, for us to seek to understand, for us to be in close fellowship, fellowship, with you um, and to just be filled up so that we can pour out father pray over our time this morning just for great discussion in our small groups in your name i pray amen thank you Ant-